It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go on there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmuck, Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. A ton of to talk about today as we discuss uh, the Giants, what's going on with the coaching search in terms of the assistant coaches, and of course, we have the Senior Bowl from over the weekend. We've done a ton of Senior Bowl stuff, so why don't we kind of switch gears, guys, and we'll talk a little bit about the other stuff first, and then we'll hit the Senior Bowl towards the back end of the Open here. And the big piece of news from the weekend, and this was after our show on Friday, is that Patrick Graham has taken the defensive coordinator job, or at least agreed to terms with, I don't know if they've announced it officially yet, uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders, which means he will not be returning as defensive coordinator. Obviously, he has connections to Josh McDaniels from his time with New England. For the fans that don't know the rules, once the Giants approved his request to interview with the Steelers, and that permission was granted when the Giants did not yet have a head coach, uh, they had to also allow him to interview for another job, such as the Las Vegas Raiders. That's why it, the interview took place, even though it was a lateral move. So now the Giants are in search of, for a defensive coordinator, gentlemen, and you know we've talked a lot about Patrick Graham, Lance, uh, a lot over the past two years. He's done a real solid job. We've talked about some of the deficiencies that the defense has had in terms of you know closing out halves, doing you know two minutes, going up against some of the better quarterbacks. But he's a, he's a rising star in the coaching profession. The Giants really liked him; they wanted him to stay, but he wanted to leave. And obviously, uh, the Giants will now be looking for a new DC. Yeah, and I don't think the Giants were going to stand in his way if no. he, deep down inside, wanted to leave. I just don't think they have the track record of doing that with other individuals as well. And let us emphasize this before we get into the nuts and bolts of this decision. I know Brian Dable in his press conference had mentioned that he wanted him back, but this is why we emphasize on this program, John and Paul, That's that great point. if there's reports out there, they're reports, okay? Nothing was ever signed, sealed, delivered, and official with respect to guaranteeing Patrick Graham returning. We knew he had options. You mentioned, John, he interviewed for the Steelers. That was a defensive coordinator position. He obviously was in the running for the Vikings head coaching job, but there were options out there, even though he didn't get the Minnesota job. So the Giants may have certainly hoped that he would stay, but it was far from a guarantee. I just wanted to emphasize that because that's why when we hear about these reports, we don't act as if they're 100% done because there's certainly that slight door that could open that could lead to a different result, which is what happened here. As far as for the Giants' perspective, the negative is you lose out on continuity because he's been with this defensive unit for the last two years. Clearly, the players respect him. So you had an opportunity to at least build upon that. And Brian Dable could have leaned on an individual that knows the personnel well, considering he's now trying to get a good grasp of what's on the roster. Now, you mentioned some of the issues at the end of the halves. Also, I think the slow starts, John, in general, in terms of the first two years, it seemed as if the defense didn't really hit its stride, get its footing until maybe sometimes six, seven games into the season. So I thought that was another issue. And but again, Lance, I think part of that too was the opponents, right? A lot of times you had, you know, the opponents got 
tended to be tough a little bit earlier in the year. And then we saw at the end of the first year, for example, the opponents got tougher again, and then there was a little bit of a backslide. Absolutely. And then what didn't help matters was Blake Martinez went down yeah. very early in the season, no, and you lost right the heart and soul of your defense, the man in the middle. So there were certainly a lot of contributing factors. But, you know, the one thing that I just want to throw out, and I haven't had conversations with Patrick Graham. I don't know what he's thinking. But, you know, clearly Josh McDaniels, he has a relationship with John. As you mentioned, they worked from 2013 to 15 in New England. So he clearly had ties to Dable, had ties to McDaniels. He's going to be able to work with Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby, two really good pass yeah, rushers up front. Yeah, that probably has something to do with it, Lance. I'm sure that did too. <laughs> yeah. And listen, the other thing that I want to throw out, and this is my personal opinion. I'm not saying that there's any footing on this, but keep in mind for the fans to understand, Patrick Graham did interview for the head coaching job here with the Giants, yeah. okay? He was a candidate. And if you just apply this, guys, to other walks of life, if you interview for a job, you don't get it. You have the option to stay. It's not necessarily a bad option, but the guy running the ship is the guy that won the job that you didn't get. It's understandable, just from a human nature perspective, if somebody says, you know what, maybe I need a fresh start. Maybe I need to now team up with somebody else I know that I wasn't necessarily competing for the job. Just wanted to throw that out there. Not saying that that's one of the reasons why he moved on, but perhaps just from the human element, it could certainly be a part of the Well, equation. then, Paul, I'll throw this in, too. I think another part of it, remember, the, 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 the coaches that have the best chance of getting ahead coaches' jobs, and that's Patrick Graham's goal, right? It's to be on a good team, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a playoff team and a winning team, you have a better chance of, of getting interest from other organizations as a potential head coach. And look, I don't think I'm breaking any news here. The Raiders are a better team than the Giants right now. So they I are think much further along. So I think that yep. probably helps them too, right? I don't think there's any doubt that they, they're, they're a team that is clearly ahead of the Giants on the upswing curve. The Giants have a lot of work to do to get to where even the Raiders are. And the Raiders, Raiders right now are not a Super Bowl team, but they're a bona fide playoff team. Look what they did this year. Now, here's the thing. I would add a couple items. Number one, I do think we know that he knows McDaniels from his days with the Pats, as, as Lance just mentioned. I don't know. Maybe he was tighter with McDaniels than, than he was with Dable when he was in New England. We don't know the nature of their relationships, but it may be that McDaniels – much like Judge was, was tight with him in Flores when they asked for permission to Miami, perhaps, and again, we don't know this, McDaniels and Graham are tighter than maybe Graham was with Dayball. And maybe that's another reason why he also leaned toward going to the Raiders. I think the other thing that we kind of have to talk about just a tad is that, and John, you mentioned this the other day, there are going to be cap casualties with the Giants. And they're probably going to come from the defensive side of the ball. There may be a couple of very big names that, that may not get to stay here, which means the Giants' defense may take a step backwards in 2022. And if you look at the talent on the Raiders' defense, Patrick Graham, I'm sure, looked at the landscape and maybe even saying to himself, hmm, not only are the Raiders further along than the Giants are right now, but... This defense, if I stay, may take a hit. And that's not going to help his chances to get another phone call for a head coaching interview either. So, you know, there are a lot of different tentacles here. I would also add the one other item, though, about Lance, and I disagree with him about the beginning of the season with the defense starting slowly. That's not necessarily as much on him as it is the head coach who decides not to play his regulars very often during the course of training camp and the preseason. You know, that's a, that was a judge decision. 
He was he was the one who decided how many snaps are all these guys going to get, how much are we going to weigh those dual practices. We're going to use those as pseudo preseason games. Look, do you really think in, an extra thirty snaps yeah, in the preseason? Just, uh, there there is no question. There is no question in my mind that there are, and I've been saying this since last August. There are several head coaches in this league who are going to rethink that policy and probably change things up a bit because you cannot afford to have a team that needs oil going into October. That's a very, very bad recipe. You need that oil earlier in the season. You can't be stumbling to 1-3 or 0-4 out of the box. Paul, Paul, in all seriousness, here's my question for you, though. You think how many preseason snaps do you think they would have played more under your plan? Like 30, maybe 40 snaps at most? Depends. So Depends. So those I mean, well, we're, okay, we're, so, 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 so let's say it's, it's one full. I'll be generous. Let's say it's one full game worth of snaps, right? One full game worth of snaps. Mm-hmm. Why does that take a month to make up? Well, what happens is there, there is, it's like, a, it's like a, an avalanche kind of thing where the snowball starts small. And then as it goes down the hill, every progression as it continues to roll gets bigger and bigger and it establishes momentum and you get things going a hell of a lot sooner because there's a dilation effect. Look, this is stuff I learned from Parcells many, many years ago and it still applies today. Some things in Football 101 never change. Well, but Judge came from Belichick. He doesn't play guys in the preseason and they I don't know. get off to the Belichick is one of those very rare guys who's been able to get away with it. I mean, I Belichick, just, Belichick is different, man. This guy, you know, no, he's, yeah, Paul, he's there, the GOAT. There aren't many coaches that yeah. play guys who, in pre. I mean, who, who are these coaches that are playing guys halves of games in the preseason? Well, or I, full games. I, I yeah. don't keep track of preseason snaps. And, you know, I guess I could probably, if you guys really want to push this issue, maybe no, I I'm, could I'm go just curious. I'm just curious. But, but I, I'm curious, too. I'd like to know the breakdown myself of what the numbers were around the league. But but I've, I am a firm believer that part of the reason you have this quicksand of mediocrity is you have so many teams that don't start off playing their best ball in the first month of the season. And most qualified NFL GMs, especially the guys at the upper echelon, will tell you they agree with me. But you guys don't have to. It's okay. Well, Sean McVay doesn't play any of his starters in the preseason. I understand. There are so, exceptions. There, well, there but are I'm just I'm throwing out exceptions. numerous teams, though, here. No, That's you've all thrown I'm out two. You've so thrown I'll out McVay, and you, you've thrown out Belichick. The, so who, but once again, you have yet to now, name a team that has played all of its starters consistently no, throughout no, no. the preseason. No, I, no, no. I, I, I'm telling you, I don't have the numbers, Lance. I okay. don't have the so, numbers. I'm so now I throw out two or three teams, is, you want five. I throw out five, you want seven. So why do we see so much garbage football in the regular season in September? You need to open your eyes, my friend. Well, no, but Paul, I, I, look I, at no, September I think, football. but I think that's not because of 30 less snaps in preseason games. I think that's because we don't get as much padded work in practice. Absolutely. In the summer. We don't there's get a lot as of much time padded that goes work in, in between the spring. Games. Yeah. Totally you know, agree. I, I, think, I think in totality, I don't think just you know a few handful of snaps in the preseason game is, is the crux of the issue. Because let's be honest, they're actually getting more padded snaps in these practice joint practice situations than you would get in a game. The Giants didn't do joint practices for the first 10 years I worked here. Right. So they're actually getting more padded practices, you know, uh, that are against an opponent the last two years 
than they did for like the first 10 years out here with Coughlin because you get more snaps against other teams in good competition in those joint practices than you do in games. We had, That's we my had only joint point. practices with the Patriots when Parcells was here a year. We also did it with the Jets when Coughlin was here up in Albany. It has been done over the years. This is not a totally new innovation, but it's been a number of years between gaps. No question, or a huge gap, I should say, between years. The bottom line is, what you have is this phobia around the NFL that guys are afraid they're going to get people hurt yeah. and they're going to get crushed on the salary cap. So what they do is around the league, it's league-wide, league, league wide, and anybody who's watched football for a long period of time will tell you, league-wide, football in September is not as good quality. Go talk to no, Carl Banks. And, and no, Carl Paul, Banks will not, tell you this every uh, step of the we way. We aren't arguing that fact. We're not arguing that fact. We're okay, arguing so what, what the causation of it is. And my point is that 30 snaps in two preseason games isn't going to change what September looks like. I would probably, if I had my druthers, I'd probably play the first string guys for a half in each of the three games, to be honest with you. I probably would do that. And I get it. I get it. The people are going to continue to say, well, we're worried about injury. We're worried about injury. Well, what good has that done the Giants in the last 10 years because they're the most injured team in the league anyway? Fair so enough. what's the difference? All right. Uh, I, I want to get to another thing with the coaching staff here. And, by the way, we have a full bank of calls at 201-939-4513. There were a bunch of call uh, reports last week that the Giants are going to hire. This is not official. Um Mike Kafka as their offensive coordinator. And, guys, why I, and I want to just touch on this real quick before we get to the calls. Why I find this very interesting is if you watch how Dable ran his offense in Buffalo as opposed to how Mike Kafka and Andy Reid ran their offense in Kansas City, they really have roots in different systems. They look very different. They're both very productive. They both use RPOs, for example. But just the method of the passing game, how you get guys open, they're both very different. And quite frankly, I think it's exciting. You know, to know your head coach is willing to bring somebody in with some serious differences in philosophy. You know, Mike Kafka is West Coast through and through, right? Mm-hmm. Andy Reid, Eagles, West Coast tree. Brian Dable is not West Coast tree. You know, he comes from the opposite side of things in terms of, you know, offensive structure. Now, these things have all blended over the years and not quite as distinct as they used to be, absolutely. But just look at how they run their offenses. And I love the fact that Dable was willing to bring in a guy like Kafka who's going to bring in a lot of different ideas to blend the best of those systems together. And, you know, we talked about how Dable up in Buffalo would like his players to bring in players, uh, bring in plays, rather, from past stops to see if they work. And he's very open to things, and he's excited about that, right? And I love the fact that he brought in a guy that he's not that familiar with, to be quite honest with you. Uh, they had crossed paths in New England for an offseason when Dable was a tight ends coach and Kafka got cut as a quarterback in training camp. Uh, that was pretty much the only place they've crossed paths. And for him to bring in somebody he's unfamiliar with where they can blend two of what have been the best offenses in football over the past few years, to me, is pretty exciting. I like that. Well, he was also there when they developed Patrick Mahomes, just like you had Dable there when they developed Josh Allen. And Daniel Jones clearly has a few years in the league, but he's still in the developmental phase now that he's learning a new offense. So I think that's another common element. And Kafka played the position. So if you're going to have somebody... 
incorporating new ideas into your offense and he plays the position, I think that's somebody that maybe at least Daniel Jones can relate to. So I think those are the other attractive qualities. The only thing, though, is he never called plays. So that's going to be interesting to see how Dable goes about orchestrating things. And on game day, he didn't commit during his press conference. He said it would depend on the offensive coordinator. Now, listen, eventually somebody's got to spread their wings, right? You got to do it for the first time. But considering you're trying to put your stamp on this offense, this is your first year as a head coach, I will stand by my statement. I have no problem with guys being the head coach or the play caller. I think that's what makes Dable an attractive head coach. So year one, I think Best game plan, especially since Kafka has never called plays, would be for Dable to call plays. And then little by little, as maybe the years go by, or maybe the latter part of the season, Kafka gets more comfortable, maybe then you hand over the reins to him. But I think to start, it may make sense for the more experienced guy to be calling plays at this point. You know, John, I think it's interesting. You talk about the two guys coming from different places and having some different backgrounds. It's interesting to see where they overlap in terms of player usage and where they don't overlap. For example, now, right? Paul, by the way, I have not done my deep dive into the Chiefs tape yet. I did watch a ton of Dable and the Bills, so I have not done my deep dive into the Chiefs yet. I hope to do that this week. All Go right, ahead. well, I'm this, sorry. This, this is this is a very uh, simple, generic kind of uh, back of the woods kind of look. Remember last week, Lance, we were talking about uh, some of Dable's tendencies with the Bills and how Knox, you know, caught nine touchdown passes this year, and he was a very important part of what they do. Yeah. Well, think think about Kelsey, right? Okay, so so you've got Dable, who really liked to feature his tight end in key spots. You've got the Chiefs. We all know what they did with Kelsey, and Kafka was a part of was a part of that whole offensive scheme. Uh, we know that Tyreek Hill is you know shifty, you know ten times over uh, as a slot guy and as a multiple guy. We know that Cole Beasley. With the Bills, very dangerous slot guy, very important part of what their offense is. So I think that's very good. There's got to be symmetry in that regard. Um, we know that the Bills and the Chiefs, neither one had a bell cow running back like Saquon Barkley. So both of the guys, as they were working with their respective teams, did not have the advantage of a bell cow running back and they were still able to be part of an offensive system that found ways to work and do things. So I think those are kind of things that you can look to and say, I'm sure they're going to have a lot of symmetry. Now, of course, the other part that's a little bit disjointed is that the Chiefs use their key big play receiver as, as Hill, as their gadget guy, their G receiver, if you will, and the Bills used Diggs as their key guy. He's a true number one on the outside. Well, I would say Tyree Hill is more than a gadget guy, Paul. I, mean, I know, I know. But I'm using that because Hill can get the ball in any kind of spot. Right, that's true. So that's why I call him. I, when I call a guy a G receiver, I'm simply saying his, his versatility is off the charts. I'm not got it. pigeonholing him into it. a guy who gets the ball twice a game. All right, we got three guys on the line here. I want to make sure we get to them before we lose some of the phone calls. And I'll just say this. The other thing interesting about um, those two systems together is that both those offenses, you know, you don't see a bunch of skyscrapers running through those offenses. You have guys that are fast. Speed. They yep. value speed. speed. Both speed. those coordinators. So that, to me, is if you're looking at how they're going to try to fill out this wide receiver core as you move ahead here, 
watch for guys that can run. You'll see a lot of moving pocket from both teams too, John. Yeah, no question about it. All right, 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Brandon in New Jersey. He'll lead us off today. Brandon, what's up? Fellas, uh, I know I've called a lot a couple weeks, so it'll be a minute before I call. But I wanted to start with I got props, I got a few jokes, and then I have one question. So, number one, I'm going to start with props. Sorry, uh, Paul, you get these jokes. So sorry. Um, so, first, I'm going to start with the props. Uh, if I'm playing Fantasy GM, right, my first order of business is to hire that John Schmelk composition notebook. I need that. Because so far, if I've run the tape, and look at the history so far. Mr. Schmelk has been on the money for all of his like favorite players in round one. Uh, if we go through them, uh, Quinn Nelson was one of your guys. No, well, you know, correct? Brandon. Brandon, I gotta be. I gotta be honest. I gotta say this. I rarely say this. I think you're a thousand percent right. They gotta hire you, man. Just they saying. gotta get this book. That book hasn't been wrong in a lot of years. Like I'm really doing the math. Like he got oh, no. Josh Allen. Brandon, that's trust me. No, 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 no. Paul, Brian Paul, Burns, Paul, the, Paul Dettino was all about Josh Allen, Brandon. I've had plenty of misses. Trust me. I'm just joking around. I've had plenty we, of misses. We, we, we all do. have misses. We all have plenty of misses. If we didn't have them, we'd be making a million and a yeah, half correct. dollars yes. doing other stuff for other people. I appreciate the kind words, though. Thank you. John Schmuck is serious, man. And one of the guys that I was real upset about and that John Schmuck book had at the top of the list last year was uh, Michael Parsons. And to Paul's point on Friday, it kind of is that that, that's where that goes. Would you rather have KT and Ojalari or Michael Parsons? When you're talking about draft capital. No, honestly, Brandon, I, I didn't. I, I wanted to take Rashawn Slater before I took Micah Parsons. I was pretty clear about that okay. for most of the draft process, and I was fine with the trade down, to be honest with you. And, 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 Brandon, uh, and the reason uh, why, Brandon, is, is what I said during the draft process last year. While Micah Parsons was a great off-ball linebacker in college, he wasn't asked to put his hand in the ground and rush the passer. So while we liked his physical ability and we thought he could do that down the road, he had improved it. So I thought drafting Parsons was a risk because you were going to ask him to try to do something that he didn't show in college. So I always thought that was a bit of a risk. And, and you know what? Yeah. To be fair, there's something else that we have been very remiss in when we discussed that Giants first-round pick. Remember, they also got a fourth-rounder back from the Bears, which is number 110 in this draft. So it's not just they get that first-rounder, which is number seven. They're also getting pick number 110. So, you know, let's just hold our horses. It's Tony plus two players, seven right. and well, 110. I want to put a pin because right my actual question has to do with this area. So, yes. Uh, real quick, last props is if I'm the GM. So, number one, I'm hiring John Schmelk's composition notebook. And number two, when it's, uh, you got to do the cuts down from 50 or down from 75 to 53, that's where Paul Dettino, I got to hire that man because isn't Dante Dion? Paul Dettino, every year during the offseason, picks like two or three guys. And he's like, wow, he's got to keep this guy. And as soon as he says it, I automatically know that guy's getting cut. And, uh, and that guy always keeps a job. And Dante Dion is the one that's recent in my memory where all offseason, I think he's going to stay. I think he's going to stay. Oh, well, that's the best now. He's out of there. And he's, he's in the Super Bowl, ain't he? So, he? Sure is. I thought that. Yeah, okay, so, okay, so, so this is great. So, so now we're assigning, right, now, now now, we're assigning playoff now, success right. to backup quarterbacks, wins and losses. I think that's great. No, we're just, we're just trying to, to no, isolate all, talent all scouts' all eyes. That's all. No, I understand. Yeah, he just, he's going to get you to depth. That's where I think Paul's got gotcha. to be the guy to get you down to 53 for that depth. Got it. Now, the other <laughs> thing is offseason, you know we're going to do predictions. I'm so sorry, Paul Bettino. You've you got to be excluded this year. 
I'm so sorry. Last year you had the Giants winning. You had the Eagles in last. Mm-hmm. You had Cowboys in second. And based on how it all went down, we got we to gotta take a year off. Actually, I, th- so I, th- I think the Tino actually had Washington in second and Dallas in third, if I recall. That's true. Oh, my God. It's that's so, that's <laughs> how I had it. <laughs> it's so much worse. <laughs> That's how I had it. Oh, you make me laugh, Brandon. You're well, you when you do this for 39 off. years, you're going to have a bunch of years where you really miss. And, and by the way, Brandon. And that was one of them. And Brandon, I had the Eagles in last place, too, so you can put me on that list also, dude. I think 99% of the, the population did. At least you had the Cowboys winning the division still. Oh, I had the Giants. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. Thank you for the call, Brandon. Uh, wait, wait, one question. The yeah, question I have real, real question is um, you and Lance had a conversation about the 2013 draft. And I thought it was a short, abbreviated conversation. But if you could do me a favor, John, and, like, dust off your 2013 draft book and, like, really go through. Because you guys compared this draft to that draft, which it didn't really have a high end at the top. But then when you guys were going through it, it seemed like there were misses all across the first round, was it not? Yep, there were. Absolutely. Yeah. There were some so guys, but I mean, I think overall, if you one? look at the substance of the first round, Thank you, Brandon. there weren't a lot of guys that made a significant impact and hung around with whatever team they wound up going to. There were a few guys that probably should have been drafted higher if we go back, but I mean, we were getting deep into the teens in the 20s, and you were still not finding guys that really put their stamp on the NFL. If anything, if you go back and look at the 2013 draft, look at the second round and the third oh, round. That's great. That's where the quality was. And even, well, the, even the last 10 picks of the first round lands, you had Xavier Rhodes yep. and DeAndre Hopkins in that yeah. bottom, and Travis Frederick. Those Cordero are three Patterson. really good players. And Cordero Patterson, for sure. Look, you but only the better volume guys. was the later rounds. No, absolutely. You only had four guys in the top 15 picks that year who wound up going to a Pro Bowl, which all, we all know is not the be-all, end-all. But it, it obviously does indicate well, Paul, that that was a less than stellar top. 15. By the way, and I'll take Pro Bowls out of the mix, and I, and I realize this is more of a um, subjective conversation. I think out of the first heck, I'll go first seventeen picks. You only had three good starters, like Eric Fisher. You know, say what you want. Was he a first overall pick? No, but he was a good starter in the league for a while. He was. You could start him, you'd be okay, right? Eric Fisher yeah. was fine. Consistent yeah. guy, yeah. Lane Johnson, really good offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Until he got hurt. Ezekiel Ansah, good player. Until yeah. he got hurt, right? Sheldon Richardson with the Jets was 13. So that's four. You're right. And, that's and four. I apologize. Well, Tulele at Carolina was mm, a solid defensive fine. tackle. And Kenny Vaccaro was really good at safety. Uh, really oh, yeah. good's a stretch. Those started for seven years. Yeah, and then he couldn't find a job. Yeah, but I'll take se- well, seven, seven years. Starter, years I think. Hey, listen, I'll if you get seven, seven years out of your first round pick, John, I think you'll take uh, that. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. It means he got a second contract. Yeah, I wonder what his second contract was. I have to check that. Well, know? that's why I wouldn't go by Pro Bowls. I think if your barometer is impactful enough to be consistently in the lineup, be a reliable guy, part of the offense and defense. If we use that as the standard, there's certainly a handful of guys that apply, but not star franchise game-changing type of right. players. That's, that's what was why, lacking. That's why I used the Pro Bowl thing before, but we all know that's not, you know, really the be-all end-all. But, you know, and then Vaccaro, you talk about, you no. know, just him. He wound up starting with Tennessee for three years after now, his five years were done with New Orleans. Yeah, Vaccaro was let go after four years by the Saints. They let him go. He signed a one-year, $1.5 million contract his first year after being with the Saints. Then he was signed to a four-year, $24 million extension with the Titans. I mean, that's not a scrub. No, that's not bad. You're right. No, that's fair. I'll, I'll, I will happily take that back. But even like, so, five or six out of 15 just good starters – out of the first 15 picks? That's kind of weak. That's a really weak number. <laughs> it's kind of weak. Yeah. 
Well, I know. I'm looking through the list. Tyler Eifert, for example, he went to the Bengals at 21. Eifert's a good player. He just couldn't stay healthy. That's a good pick. That's fine. But he couldn't stay healthy. I mean, that was the biggest issue. Mm -hmm. He was a good player for Cincy. Just you couldn't rely on him. And Rhodes has now found the second coming with the Colts. He was a nice piece of their secondary this year. We know DeAndre Hopkins. And Patterson's been a mainstay on special teams throughout his career. And this year, the Falcons utilized him as pretty much their number one running back. Mm -hmm. And then Travis Frederick, great pick, unfortunately, the autoimmune disease cut his career short. So, you know, there were a few gems, as you were alluding to, John, later in the first round, but the volume's not there. Out of 32 first-round picks, you know, some drafts, you could say about half the group at least walks away with a significant impact. That was not the case in 2013. You know, guys, if we could all do hindsight, right, 2020 on every single draft, we could pick 32 pro bowlers in the first round and never have a miss. Yeah. But that, of course, is impossible. Well, and, and, and that's why the process is so hard. And I, I know I didn't take as copious notes in 2013. I didn't really start doing hardcore drafts up until, like, 2016 or so. So I don't have a lot of heavy notes from that 2013 draft. I just remember what we were talking about with the Giants that year. Uh, when you took a look at that draft class, we were all looking for offensive linemen. Shocking. That's kind of what we're doing for every draft. And you know what? Justin Pugh at 19 was actually one of the better picks, to be honest with you. Like, I he's know. been a mainstay starter in the NFL. He never didn't stick a tackle, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. You get a starting guard at 19th overall, take that, right? Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not too yeah. shabby. Mm-hmm. Kyle Long went right behind him. Yeah. <laughs> not too bad either. No well, question. and Q with the Giants, it was just, once again, the health issue. You know, not yeah. staying extremely durable during his Giants tenure. Now, obviously, he's with Arizona. So, to your point, John, he's hung around. But that's the wild card with most of these draft picks. You just, you never know. They could be the healthiest kid in college and then all of a sudden be in and out of the lineup. And then you see a free agent you sign and he comes to your team. Yeah. He's the poster child of health, and then all of a sudden it goes to the opposite end of the spectrum. All right, let's go to Phil in Vermont. He's up next. Hey, Phil. Hey, guys. uh, Great show. Always enjoy it. Um, So just a quick endorsement of what you were saying earlier. There was one rationale for hiring Brian Dayball, and it was to fix this offense. And to have him come in and not not be the play caller, it doesn't make sense to me. If you're going to do that, then you should have hired someone like Flores who had experience as a CEO-type um, coach. So, you know, his, his entire career rests on fixing this offense, and he needs to be hands-on with that. Well, so, Phil, here's the uh, thing. I think he will be. I think right now, if you gave Brian Dable truth serum and you asked him if you're calling plays this year, I think his honest answer is going to be, I don't know. I think he needs to see what it's like working with Kafka in the offseason, and then he'll make his decision. That's my gut feeling of what's going on. I don't have any inside information. That's just my gut as, as to where Dable is. Because like I said, he doesn't have a lot of experience with Kafka. So my guess is that he's not going to be like, all right, you take the play calling. We're good. We've never worked together, but I'm going to hand you the offense. I don't see that happening. My guess is that that's something he's going to decide and figure out as this spring and summer goes, goes on. And, Phil, listen, Sounds the good. two guys that are coaching in the Super Bowl, they both call plays. Zach Taylor calls plays for the Bengals. Right. Sean McVay does go. it for the Rams. Okay. It can be yes, done. And on a related model. note, yeah, I was actually sure. I was listening to yeah, Doug yeah, Peterson's yeah. introductory presser for the Jaguars, and he was asked that exact question because he now has to put a staff together. And he told the media, I take pride in calling plays and being the head coach. I did it all my years at Philadelphia. I'm going to do it again in Jacksonville. So you're seeing this become a trend in the NFL. If you get a job and your win-loss results are a reflection of you, meaning your job security is tied to you, 
then why wouldn't you want to call plays? Because you know that if you put it in the hands of somebody else who doesn't have much experience, your job security is then tied to them. So I lean towards if that's what got you the job, you should hold on to that as part of your responsibilities as a new head man. Now, as far as uh, Graham goes, uh, you know, would have been happy for him to stay. I'm not upset that he left. I mean, every metric we have to start getting as Giants as an organization and as fans, results-driven and reality check. Every metric in our defense went backwards last year against the run, against the pass. When the season was on the line in the beginning four games, the defense was very, very poor. So, yes, he made adjustments, and they got better. But um, I'm not blown away by him. So, if you know, we can uh, – hopefully we can upgrade. Um, but, uh, like I said, if he came back, he comes back. Now, as far as the draft goes, to me, I'm beating the drum, guys. I did before. I will again. We need a lot of talent. I mean, there's no position area where we can say we're in good shape. Every single area needs help. So we've got to look at impact players, and let's see where the draft falls. Of course we want offensive linemen. That's a priority, kind of stating the obvious. But if two impact defensive players happen to fall to us, I would rather see us do that than take a guard or a center. Uh, if Hamilton and Thibodeau happen to fall to us, you take them and you run with it, um, you know, because we need at least two impact players on both sides of the ball, new impact players, and then we have to hope that some of the players that are on the team, like a McKinney and Ojolari, develop into that impact player and it's going to take a couple of drafts, guys. I mean, anybody who thinks we're going to flip this thing in a year with this salary cap situation and the state of the roster, I think is, is living in dreamland. I mean, we need a lot more talent, and we need impact players. That's why I wouldn't get rid of Barkley right now, because he can be an impact player. Hasn't been recently, but has shown that he can be. And then you've got to hope that uh, Jones shows something, but we need talent so we've either stockpile more for the draft next year i'd be okay with the trade down that does that or you take the two most impactful players that fall to you there hopefully one of them is one of those offensive lines but if they're off the board then you know you either got to trade down or you've got to look at some of the players i'd be totally okay with kyle hamilton if he comes to you um uh, you know even though Secondary is probably one of our areas where we're somewhat better off. But if you think he's a really a potential all-pro impact player, then you got to take him. You just can't walk away like you did with Parsons. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate the call. All right, let's go to our next caller, Robin Yonkers. He joins us next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Rob. Hey, how you guys doing? What's up? Uh, first thing I want to discuss, um, I know we have a lot of uh, trades. Um, I'm hoping they don't get rid of, like, James Bradbury or Leonard Williams. We have people that shouldn't be on the team anymore, like Nate Soldier. Um, that's one person they should trade. That should help with well, the Well, 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 right Rob, there. Rob, Rob, Nate Soldier's contract is expired, so you don't yeah. have to worry about that. Oh, okay. I'm happy. Thank you so much. Um, and also, <laughs> okay. I, I, <laughs> I watch you guys. I've been watching you guys on the, on the, uh, as far as the senior ball and everything. Um, 
you guys basically give me all the information I need. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, there's a lot of people on the senior ball. A lot of um, I've been watching a lot of offense, a lot of defense. So um, hopefully this season when we draft, we could draft someone to protect Daniel Jones. Also, as far as Daniel Jones, I think even though I know I think we just drafted a, a backup quarterback that was with us in uh, a few years ago. I think they say we just um, dra- uh, got somebody back. Um, something Webb. Oh something uh, yeah, there were reports out there that that yeah. Davis Webb might be brought on as a as a guy that can compete for a potential spot in the off season. Yes, that, that, and that's what I was saying. I, I think Dan, Daniel Jones is a good quarterback as long as he has people around him. When he doesn't, eh, it, it kind of he kind of goes to a bad court. But I think he should fight for his position this season. That's what I personally think. You should fight for your position, just the way they did in, with the Patriots. Yeah, Rob. I, I, honestly, Jones, though, I don't think Davis Webb's a situation where he's going to be competing for the starting job. I think that's more of a depth okay. situation. Okay. Okay. Uh, and one and one more thing. As far as uh, Joe Shane and David David Dabble, um, I think that was a good hire for Joe Shane. Why? Because they have a um, relationship already, a working relationship. As far as Flores, I'm half black, half Puerto Rican. I still have not took Flores because that's a forced marriage. You, you don't want to force two people together. At least Joe Shane and Brian Dabble already have a relationship where hopefully we could basically move on. Hey, one more thing. Um, the Bengals were only won four games last season, and now they have the Super Bowl. So everybody needs to stop um, thinking the Giants can't do the same. We could do the same. I believe in my team. Thank you, Rob. Well, I'll say this: well, if, if if Daniel Jones can play like Joe Burrow, and they can find a Jamar Chase, then yeah, they can probably they can make it do the same thing. And they also get <laughs> DJ Reader to return from injury, and also Trey Hendrickson comes aboard and brings fourteen yes, sacks. That would help. So too. how about that? Yep. You know, I mean, I understand it's a fun story, and I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but can we like really look at the facts beyond the no, Bengals just won four games? Not. No, you I can't mean look seriously. At the facts. We, John, between you and I, we just listed like five to six factors as to why they made the jump. Of their you best added, players. You added like five to six huge playmakers on each side of the ball that well, weren't Lance, in the equation. You, you forgot Burrow season. even was injured for six Yeah, games. well, that was going to be the other part of it, of course. Yeah, Burrow didn't play a full season. So when you don't have him and now you have him for the entire season, something tells me that's going to help you increase your win total mm-hmm. just slightly. It's amazing. It really is. And was was Jonah Williams hurt last year, or was that the year before Jonah? Williams I think Jonah was hurt? Williams was hurt the year before. That was the year before. Okay, yeah. I w- I thought it was. I just wasn't positive off the top of my head. But yeah, I mean, you can just you know go down. And by the way, they also added Riley Reef, who's who was a starting offensive lineman for them. So there's just like a lot of, yeah, no, two hundred one nine three nine. Jonah four, played five, ten one, games in two thousand twenty, so okay. he did miss six. But it was the. You know, that, that was the second, that was his first year, but this year he played all 16. But he played enough in 2020. I mean, you get 10 games out of one of your starting offensive linemen. It's not as if he was a spectator for, you know, more than half the season. No question about it. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Let's go back to the old phones and say hello to, who's up? Cliff in New York. Cliff, what's going on? How you doing, guys? Good to good to hear the chat today. What's up, Cliff? Uh, you're not you're not going to hear from me that we have no talent. I, I think we have some talent at every position group, and we've got Joe Shane on record as saying he thinks he has some talent at starting quarterback. He used that word. Um, my question is, um, where do we really stand with 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 the talent in the other groups? I I think that you know the September football is funny because this year. We're gonna, we're gonna, if we're gonna have rookie starters on both sides of the ball, <laughs> you know, they're gonna be the ones that are gonna be playing in the preseason. So we're gonna, we're gonna get that changed. Also, I would just throw out that Belichick, that many times 
seemed like he was willing to give everybody else a head start. I don't know what the record actually says, but I remember seasons where he was like two and two in September seemed to happen more often than not. And a lot of people would start writing, you know, is this the year the Patriots finally fall out of it? And then they would finish, you know, 14 and two, you know, or something like that. And, um, but uh, I'm, I'm wondering, um, when Joe Shane went in for his interview, he had looked at five uh, games, he said, and, and he was complimentary about the New Orleans game. But whatever he looked at, it was out of that that he did say there was a talent deficit. And I just wonder if we have any clue about what he thinks, because every, everybody talks about offensive line, but you know, offensive line seems to depend on people working together for a while just as much as their talent. I mean... I mean, how talented did Andrew Thomas look the first half of his rookie year? And it seemed like he wasn't being used right. It seemed like he wasn't being coached right. It wasn't a talent issue. And, uh, you know, I, I understand why the changes had to be made in management um, uh, with the way the season went. But uh, I always thought we were getting better. I thought we had some talented players that, that were young on both sides of the ball that, that were getting better. We're getting some snaps. And, uh, and we're showing up. And, and uh, I just wonder if we have any clue – uh, we know that, that the cap situation is going to lose some, some, some real talent. But um, do, do we have any clue as to how he regards the rest of the roster? I mean, he can bring in, I guess we have nine guys that are going to come in just from the draft alone, and if they can beat out the guys that we've got, I'm all for it. But do, do you think he really thinks uh, when he made that a statement that we lack talent and given props to Daniel at the same time, and uh, and I don't think anybody mentions Saquon with talent because everybody knows he has it. Um, and by the way, I think a running back comes back sh uh, slower from an ACL than a quarterback with like Joe Burrow. Um, so where do, what do you think? Do you, do you think uh, he he likes our talent? Do you, do you think he saw something he has to work with? Well, I find it very hard to believe that you would take a job as a general manager Thank and not you, find that there's some attractive pieces, Cliff. I think he believes that probably deep down inside there's something to work with. But I don't I, – guys, I don't recall him saying that there's a lack of talent. No. I just think he said it was a challenge in terms of the salary cap mm -hmm. and it's not going to be an overnight fix. That's what I remember the phrases that he utilized. I don't know, Cliff, exactly what you're referring to. I don't remember him saying the exact phrase that there's a lack of talent. It's just obviously it's a challenge – in terms of turning things around, and they know that they have work to do, and it goes back to what John Mara had to say. Forget Joe Shane. John Mara said, and I'm paraphrasing, that they did everything to screw up Daniel Jones over the last few seasons, and that speaks volumes of the environment around Daniel Jones. So that alone means you have to improve the talent around him, and it starts, of course, with the offensive line. Yeah, look, every NFL team has talent, right? I mean, every NFL team has good players. The question is, do you have enough good players at the right position with the team built out in the right way to make it work? You know, that's the question. Every team has some talent, but is that talent good enough when you put it together or using it the way you want to use it to win football games? And I think, you know, yeah. I mean, is, is this like a barren wasteland after like uh, – nuclear war you know went on but you know on a continent and it's been and it's like you know the old like simpsons episode where everything's gone and like it's just like a nuclear wasteland no it's not that but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of work to do too i think there there's a middle ground between those those two things where yeah there's some talent but there's also still a lot of work to do 201-939-4513 let's go to charlie in portland maine charlie you're up next on big blue kickoff live Charlie. Hey, guys. How you doing? What's up? I'm here. Oh, That's not unfortunate. Much. 
Uh, <laughs> look, our biggest problem is at quarter, at quarterback. We don't know what Daniel Jones is. So, you know, if he uh, ends up, you know, all of a sudden waking up and becoming a really good quarterback, then uh, we'll probably have a decent season. If he doesn't, we're not. But uh, I really called just to talk about uh, the D.C. I think Graham was really smart <laughs> in leaving, to tell you the truth. Um, he's on a better team. Like Paul was saying, uh, where are you going to cut? If you're going to get rid of, you know, you want $40 million in cap space, yeah, well, you're going to get it from the defense. And that's, you know, Graham knew that uh, a lot of his good players were going to probably be gone. So, But the only thing is, in his division, he's going to be going up against a pretty good quarterback. Oh, you know, Charlie, that's a really uh-huh. good point. I didn't think about that. He is signing up for a really tough defensive assignment here. <laughs> here, here comes yeah. Mahomes, Herbert, and maybe Aaron Rodgers. I mean, good luck. Yeah, exactly. That's a fair Aaron point. Rogers that's a fair point. Denver. You know, he had like he had uh, like Hertz and and Dak and uh, who knows in Washington they weren't that great. So uh, yeah, he's gonna have it tough. But uh, yeah, but know, he could get more notoriety that. if the team does well, though. That's you true. You can look too. at it from yeah, that yep, standpoint. Yeah, and they and he's you know he's with a good head coach who knows how to uh, run an offense. So uh, he should be able to get a lot more well, out of car. Charlie, I'll say this. He's with too. somebody that you know can run an offense. I don't think we know that he's a good head coach yet, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, well, that's what I mean. He can run an offense. you got to wonder, too, Charlie, if as a defensive coordinator and you know that your offense is significantly challenged, how much does that impact how you're <laughs> coaching? To be frank with you. No, that's fair. Because you, you know that they're not going to put up more than 13 points, 14 points, 16 points. Yeah. Don't you have yeah. to kind of coach your side of the ball a little differently? You could be more aggressive if you think your offense can make up for a mistake here or there, right? Yeah. So they'll be more – I think he'll have a little more freedom. Not that he was inhibited here by anything that was said to him, but I think naturally human instinct, if you know you got Carr and he's able to wing it and get some points on the board out there in Las Vegas – you probably will be a little more risque as a defensive coordinator. I mean, complimentary football. I mean, that's exactly. What it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Takes there was nothing to compliment here, John. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know. there was not. And it's like a you know brand new stadium. Uh, you know the weather is nice. <laughs> you know he doesn't have to. Well, it's in a dome. I mean. Well, Charlie, know, he's, but he's he's a local product here, so I don't know how much well, that I, played a role. He loved it here. He yeah, said I mean, that he, he m- grew up multiple in times. I, yeah. I do wonder if though the 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 good L.A. the good Las Vegas weather will 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 bring down his miserable coach level that he always liked to talk about in his press conferences. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, if you just that's said right. he's got to deal with Mahomes and Herbert twice a year, <laughs> I don't point. know, yeah. John, if that's, that's going to necessarily make him happy. So, uh, <laughs> something tells me it's going to be quite the challenge game planning. Yeah. Yes. Anything hey, else? Didn't, uh, didn't Kaufman, uh, Kauf, what is Kafa? Kafka? Uh, the uh, OC? Yes. Yeah, it possibly the OC. I thought he did, uh, he played, he called plays for passing offense. Uh, he was he the passing game coordinator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that he called plays. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means, means he was the architect yeah. during the week. Yeah, he he, he basically uh, put okay. together the passing attack game plan during the week. Yeah, because he worked with the well, quarterbacks, pretty, I mean, that was his M.O. That's pretty good. Sure. That's pretty well, that's good, why they right? hired him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, hey, well, we'll see, well, we'll see what happens. It's getting interesting. Uh, hey, just a question. Who do you think our next D.C. will be? I mean, in your opinion, who do you think would be the best guy? 
Good and question. I'll take it off the air. Thank you, Charlie. Look, there's a lot of names that are out there. I mean, I I'm even gonna. Th- I don't like to talk about like the guys that they've interviewed because I don't even know if that's the full list or not. So I don't think that's a fair thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, but, I think that's fair, John. You know, but we we've talked about some of the guys. Uh, that have had a lot of experience as defensive coordinators and success in the league, right? Guys that are available. Guys like, you know, Mike Zimmer, who's not with the team. Guys like Vic Fangio, who's not with the team. Uh, guys like Wing Martindale, who's not with the team. Those guys are all free agents. And there are other Wade guys, Phillips. obviously, too. Wade Phillips, not with the team. Um, uh, Wilkes is another guy. He was a he was a head coach candidate for the Giants, the, right? And he was with the Cardinals for yeah, a year correct. as a head coach. Yeah. So, you know, so there are names out there of guys that have done it and had success that are out there. Um who would be the best guy for the job? I mean, it's it's really hard to say. Uh, you know, do you guys have 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 a feel John, there? I, I don't really have one to be honest I, with you. I'll, I'll give you this, and and maybe you guys will agree. Again, maybe you won't. But I hate I to would speculate like, I, with stuff like this. Is my I, yeah, yeah, I would simply prefer when you look at the checklist of what you want from this guy. And I always go through that every time I'm talking about a coordinator or a head coach or a GM. What's my checklist? I think the primary item on my checklist for this defensive coordinator is that he's got NFL defensive coordinator experience. I do not really favor in this spot hiring somebody's linebacker coach and saying, okay, do you want to promote yourself to a DC now? I agree with that, especially since you have a first-time head coach. I'm with you. Okay. Yeah, I completely agree with you because especially if Dable's calling plays and being the head coach, that's more of a reason why you want – a defensive coordinator that can pretty much be a pseudo head coach, essentially, Paul, I think Mm -hmm. is what you're hitting on. And I think of, you know, you brought up Wade Phillips. Sean McVay hired Wade Phillips when he became the Rams head coach. Why did he do that? Because he knew I'm calling plays. I'm running a team for the first time. Wade's been there. He's been a head coach. I know Wade could go off and do his own thing. So some of the names that John threw out, like Mike Zimmer and Vic Fangio, would make sense because they're former head coaches who you know can run their own thing. However, I will say this. What happens a lot when head coaches lose their jobs, they sometimes decide it's better for me to take a year off, reassess my situation, get a new perspective, and then come back, like what Doug Peterson did. So it's possible that even though there may be interest in those guys' names, that they don't want to coach this year in the NFL because they want to stay Mm-hmm. within an option of perhaps getting a head coaching gig after they take a step back away from the game. So that's why I don't know how realistic it is to think that those two guys are going to jump right back into coaching this year. To piggyback off of what you just said, though, Lance, and, and you, I, again, uh, I want to stress NFL defensive coordinator experience. I would not want to take a D.C. or a head coach from college I agree. and put him in this spot. Understandable. Either. Yeah, though it could be. What if it's a guy that went to college but was previously in the NFL, Paul? Well, that okay means he has that? experience, right? Well, no, maybe he was an NFL positional coach. Is what oh, I'm saying. Then I would tend went... not to do that. For me, okay. that would not be that would not be okay. And by the way, this is a this is not even related to the Giants' DC job, but it, it was a name that that's out there. So I it just it, it bothers me a little bit. How come Vic Fangio's gotten so much grief for the job he's done with the Broncos the last four years? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the guys in a division with Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, and Derek Carr, his quarterbacks have been Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, and Teddy Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, 7-9 and nine and 7-10 and ten in two of those years isn't bad. You know, 5-11, and 11, you like to be better than that, sure. But, geez, I mean, the guy was working with, like, a, against a stacked deck here. I thought... You know, I get why they wanted, you know, three years is a long time. You want to change things, you know, new new GM with, with Elway stepping down, all that stuff. I get all that. 
But the idea that he like did this horrible job, like they like he, they were plus thirteen in points this year in a very tough division. You know, yeah. I don't know. I I just don't think he did that bad of a job in my opinion. John, I'm not I'm not twice, watching the Broncos close up, but whatever. And and twice in those three years they were top ten in fewest points allowed in the league. Yeah, and I mean, the that, defense you know, was hammered by something. injuries this year. Yeah. I don't think he did a bad job. I think if the criticism went his way, John, just to look at it from the outside looking in, I think it was more of game management at times, just his decision-making, timeout usage. Okay. I think that's where he received the bulk of his criticism. No, I think given what he was working with, listen, Vic Fangio, last game of the season, I think I brought this up on a previous show, they played the Kansas City Chiefs. After that, you know, he's asked about his job security. He goes, the biggest difference between the Denver Broncos and the rest of the AFC West is they have quarterbacks and we've got a question mark. And I'm paraphrasing it. I mean, he was stating the obvious at that point. They never had any solid answer during his tenure. But if I'm looking at Fangio just as a defensive coordinator, guys, I'm looking at, forget what he did with Denver. I'm going back. Look at what he did with San Francisco and Chicago as a defensive coordinator, okay? Nobody's telling you that you have to love him as a head coach. If you're bringing him in as a defensive coordinator, just look at the track record of the Niners and the Bears and look at how consistent those groups are. That's all I'm looking at. You know, everybody talks about what a great job Jim Harbaugh did in San Francisco when he did. Well, what was the strength of that team? Their defense. defense. Yeah. And who ran that defense? Mm-hmm. Well, and Big then what about what the Bears' defense did in Matt Nagy's first season yep. mm-hmm. in 2018? Look, think about how opportunistic they were. If you remember, guys, they came to MetLife to play the Giants, what that overtime thriller game, if memory serves me correctly. And that was actually one of their roughest defensive performances that season. The Giants actually had a lot of success yeah. against Fangio's defense. Everybody else suffered immensely playing that unit. All right, let's go to Jimmy and Rosehill. He's up next. Jimmy, what's happening, buddy? Hey, guys. How are you? What's going Hi. on? Hey, uh, hey, Paul, on a, uh, on a personal note, it was a very good weekend for a dear old alma mater. Um, yeah. Two guys in the senior bowl mm-hmm. and our new assistant GM. The offensive lineman had a bad holding penalty in the red zone, though. Yeah, well. So I guess it wasn't a great weekend <laughs> for the Rams then. <laughs> he did. But you don't well, want to see that think, that Fordham think, helmet in the senior ball was pretty cool. I thought he played. I thought he played better in general. I thought he played better than than he practiced. I thought he had he had a couple of rough practices there. Hey, listen, yeah, he could be a late round, free sixth agent, or seventh round pick, him. I think. Yeah, I would I would put him in that yeah. sixth, seventh round area, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, listen, and then uh, and Brown. Uh, I remember watching this kid Brown. He was from St. Anthony's out in uh, out in Long Island four years at, at Rose Hill. He was a contributor. You know, he wasn't a starter, but uh, he stuck out because he was. He was just even then. He, he, this kid had a had a little bit of a presence about him. And actually, the kicker, John. I don't know if you knew the kid Mavis that kicked for the national team. Yep, I, I was watching him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Iowa State. He started out at Fordham, you know. I don't know if you, I don't know whether they they talked about that much, but they did not. He was actually one of the first. No, they didn't. Be he, he was one of the uh, first three star recruits that we actually got at the at the football program. Anyway, um, I just wanted to get that out there. I know well, I hate to break it to you, Brandon Brown. The last time I checked, is not going to be playing football for the Giants. So I don't no, know that is, that how much his Fordham career is going to help with respect to that. So. Well, it just shows his intelligence level. That, that's sure. That's a good but thing, Jim. I mean, at the end it's of the day, thing. well, but the way Jim was talking, I mean, he's breaking down his skill set and how he jumped out. I said, unless they're going to use a lot, utilize him on offense or defense, I don't know how much that's going to help. Him. And, and by the way, we we should have mentioned that the Giants did announce that Brandon Brown is their new assistant general manager. Kevin Abrams got the uh, VP change uh, to operations last week, and Mark Kantz, who was a uh, 
co-pro personnel director under Dave Gettleman, um, he was let go. So uh, that's that's kind of where they are with that. Frankly, we just you know Brandon comes from the Eagles. You know we don't obviously you know being a you know assistant on the personnel side, it's hard to know exactly you know what he did down there, or what his opinions was, but he certainly. Um, had a lot of work down there as a team's director of player personnel in, in 2021. And the one thing about the Eagles, guys, they move around. They make trades. They trade picks. They trade players. <laughs> yes. Howie Roseman is always working something, trading up, trading back. So he definitely understands how that part of the business works in terms of moving around. Well, the other thing, John, that's important, I think, to note is his background was on the pro personnel and pro scouting side. So what that means to me is, A, he knows the division very well. Yep, good point. He knows what it takes to win within this division. He also has a perspective of the Giants because if he's in pro scouting, he was scouting the Giants when the mm-hmm. Eagles were playing them Correct. right twice a year. Mm-hmm. So he's coming in with his own perspective of this team to say to Joe, hey, I like this guy, I don't love this guy. Right. So I think actually it may not be so much the heavy lifting in the draft. I'm not saying he's not going to have any involvement, but I look at Brandon Brown as a resource for Joe Shane to make decisions in free agency, who to retain, who to get rid of, and who perhaps has some value in building around. Yeah, and That's by, where I think and, he could be valuable. And by, remember, J- Joe Shane is a college scout at his heart, right? That's what he always did. Mm-hmm. So I think it's yeah. a good complimentary skill set. Absolutely. Well, the other thing to keep in mind, Lance, and, and we always talk about this, the best way to get to the playoffs is to win your division, right? And as you just said, this is a guy who knows this NFC East. Absolutely. No question about it. Appreciate the call. 201-939-4513. Let's wrap it up with Bruce and Albany on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Bruce, what's going on? Hi, guys. Uh, I'm starting to agree with Paul more and more. I don't know. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Thoughts so, and prayers. Uh, but I, I heard you talking the other day with Jeff about trading down. And, uh, you know, bad teams don't draft the same way good teams draft. We're a bad team. So first thing you got to do is you got to get a quarterback. Now, we got a quarterback, but we have no offensive line. And all these playoff teams, for the most part, have really good offensive lines. Except for the Bengals. It's true. It's true. That's why he gets his butt kicked all the time. <laughs> That's but, true, yes. You know, hopefully we can keep Daniel alive long enough to show how good he is. But anyway, we traded down last year, and you say, oh, we got this and we got that. But we didn't get Rashawn Slater. We could have had a Pro Bowl tackle. We need we got to find out now if Jones is good. So getting late round picks or getting picks in the future, that's not going to do us any good. We got to give him the support he needs this year. Yeah, but this isn't a one year project, though, Bruce. I'm not saying that. I, I I know that to build a team, it's going to take time. We're not going to win next year. Everybody knows that. All I'm saying is this: we're going to go back in time and do like do what we should have done two years ago. We, we are ignoring the, the biggest problem on our team. And I don't want a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick offensive lineman. you got to get some surefire guys in there that's going to start. Well, but Bruce, year. Bruce, even if you trade down with one of those spots, you can still pick an offensive tackle with the other one, and then you can pick a, you can pick a guard or a center in the second round. Right, but when you go in the later rounds, then you got to be smarter than the other teams that passed up on it. We haven't shown the ability to make good first-round picks. We're going to outsmart teams in the third and fourth yeah. round. Maybe. No, no, but Bruce, I mean, you aren't, generally speaking, you're not picking a guard or a center at seventh overall. No, but we should have taken a tackle last year. And I, I know that Mr. Gettleman said you're not trusting the, the guys I have on the team. And I know a lot of guys got hurt. But, uh, like I said, we're not a good team. We have to draft high 
to at least get that taken care of. I don't, I don't care about drafting a safety or another receiver. I don't care about any of that stuff. Because if, if, if you don't have a good offensive line next year, Daniel Jones is going to get his butt kicked. No, but Bruce, I, Bruce, I, Bruce I think we're in agreement there, but here's my point. You can trade down with one of the picks, use the other pick on an offensive tackle, then go use one of the picks you got in the trade down to go draft a guard or a center. So, in fact, I'm giving you more opportunities to fix the offensive line by trading down than if you stay okay, there. That sounds good. That sounds good. If you can keep one, get an impact tackle, and then trade down. And let's Hey, we have to have faith in uh, Shane because, you know, we've been beaten in the draft so badly in the last – five or ten years that uh, hope springs eternal. I hope this guy goes in and gets good players. Bruce, I I would say this to you. you And thank you for the call, Bruce. we got to run. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. I mean, I would prefer to get two impact players at five and seven. John would rather make the trade. I think Lance would rather make a trade, too. No, no, but again, I'm I'm actually in the middle ground. I don't really see a negative on either side. I just think you can make a case for both sides. Right. Well, that's what I mean. There's no right or wrong here. And I think, to be frank with you, the only way to judge this properly is to judge it when you're on the board and see who's already gone and who's still there. For example, I think all of us, I think all of us would agree, if it falls to the point where, let's just say, the Giants believe that, uh, that Neil is the best offensive lineman and he's a total blue chip and they pluck him at five. Let's just say for hypothetical, Okay. And for some strange reason, they really believe that there is a pass rusher there at seven who's a bona fide impact guy. All of a sudden, all the websites are saying now that one of those guys is going to fall. Well, now that puts a different spin on it. Because if you believe you're getting an impact tackle and an impact pass rusher at those two spots, I would think you're a lot less likely to move down and make a well, deal. of course. It depends who's right? there. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and that's the point. To- That's the point. None of us can really, we can make these statements about preferences, but the truth is it's only a preference because until you get on the board and see who comes off, it's it's almost kind of foolish to speculate. I use the term conviction all the time. I mean, I just, I want to know that everybody in the room has conviction. If you utilize five and seven, then just tell me you got conviction on the two players. Then I have no problem, but I don't want to hear, well, you're on the fence and you were hoping to move down and, you know, there's these three guys left. No, I mean, that to me is not an ideal game plan. But those two guys that you take at five and seven, if you keep those picks, they have to be slam your fist on the table guys. Sure. They absolutely. We totally agree with that. Yeah. And going back to the callers premise listen there's no doubt about it that the Giants need impactful players but I don't just once again I will not isolate it based on 2022 the 2020 and 21 classes once again they need to make leaps as well just because Joe Shane didn't draft those guys doesn't mean that you start to lose sight of McKinney and Ojalar Ojalari, Tony I mean these guys have to produce as well it's not just the 2022 class on an island you need all three of those classes to make the next step forward if you want to get the results that the caller was alluding to. All right, guys, good stuff. Excellent job by the callers. Thank you for joining us on Big Blue Kick Live. And by the way, folks, if you're interested, I did an interview with uh, Joe Shane out at the Senior Bowl in Mobile uh, that just put a, got put up on the Giants Huddle podcast this morning. Make sure you go check it out. Jeff and I will talk more about it tomorrow uh, when we open up the show on Tuesday. For Lance and Paul, I'm Schmelk. We'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live.